Amen. All right, so we're in James chapter 3, and as I've said before in previous message, the book of James, it's kind of like a revival meeting message. So whenever that evangelist comes into town and he's wanting to straighten the church out, there's some pretty typical subjects you can expect them to hit. And the first part of this passage, we see the tongue being mentioned. So this is a very common revival meeting sermon, one that needs to be preached pretty regular in churches. I try to occasionally preach on this subject on the tongue. I remember in our first year into the church, we weren't here very long, and I decided I just wanted to get up and just kind of rip on gossip because you know we weren't having any problems in the church with that yet. We hadn't really been here long enough. But I was like, we need to head this thing off before it even gets started, because it can do a lot of damage. But um, that is kind of a a big thing that's mentioned here. So uh, first off, though, let's go ahead and let's look at these first verses. In verse 1, look what it says. It says, My brethren, be not many masters, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. For in many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man and also able to bridle the whole body. So notice in verse 1, that my brethren be not many masters, knowing we shall receive the greater condemnation. What I personally think that's talking about there is we shouldn't be too anxious to be the guy in charge. We shouldn't be too anxious and just desperate to be the guy teaching, to be the one you know making the rules and things like that. Now, listen, there are some positions okay, that God has. You know, if, if for example, if you're a husband. You have been called to be the leader in that home. You have been called to be the authority in that home. That is your job. That is what you should do. Okay. If you're a pastor, God has given you authority in the church. That's our job. That's what we do. Okay. Wherever you have been given authority, you ought to be willing and ready to use that. But you shouldn't be sitting around thinking, how can I get more authority? You know, how can I get more people to be underneath me that I can be telling what to do and I can be in charge of? Okay, we don't need to be too anxious for that because we're going to receive the greater condemnation. Okay, the person who is teaching things wrong is going to be in more trouble than the person who's just doing what they were told. And I, and when it comes to this passage, I could probably preach just the whole message just on this right here, on, on this subject, okay? Because, for example, you know, when it comes to people that I tend to go after sometimes, or I've gone after a few people before, um, you know, and especially like, for example, in the camp meeting crowd. Okay, you all know they're kind of my favorite. But one of the reasons I go after the camp meeting crowd as much as I do is because a lot of people in the camp meeting crowd that I believe are good people, that I believe love the Lord that are wanting to serve God. you know, And that's why I go after a lot of people in the IFB and in the old IFB because there's a lot of good people in there who they love the Lord, they're trying to do the right thing, but the thing is they're listening to bad people. And they're just doing what they've been told to do. There are good people that I know that are in churches who have bad pastors. And I sometimes see the things that these people in the churches are doing and a lot of times others will look at these people and you know they're all bad, they're all evil. But you know what? No, some of these people, I know them personally, they're good people, they love the Lord, and they think they're doing the right thing. And not only are they, they doing the wrong thing, but they're doing that wrong thing with all their heart. <laughs> I mean, their heart is in the right place. Now listen, they will still be accountable for doing the wrong thing. 
You might refer back to my message I preached a while back on the sin of being deceived. Okay? It is our responsibility not to be deceived. That's why the Bible constantly tells us, be not deceived. Okay? It's, if we get deceived, we sinned. Okay? We did the wrong thing by letting them deceive us. I don't want to get into, I don't want to preach that whole message again. But, when it says that they will receive the greater condemnation, okay, it is clear that the worst people in that situation are the ones that are doing the deceiving. There are many decent people who are deceived sitting in churches. And while, you know, their heart's in the right place, you know, my real enemy in those situations is the guy that's deceiving them. I want to get that head. I want to attack that guy. I don't want to attack the church member whose heart's in the right place. I want to expose the one that they're following so those people will wake up and realize I'm doing the wrong thing. Okay? And that, uh, and the truth is, I think that's appropriate because the people that are teaching wrong, they are going to be in more trouble. The people who are following them, they're going to be in trouble too but not as much as the people following them. The false prophets are always, they are the worst ones. That's why the Bible speaks so hardly against them. And you know what? Since there is more responsibility on those who are in charge or those who are teaching, those who are doing the instruction, we shouldn't be just anxious to always be the guy talking, to always be the guy instructing. And if you get called into that position... If you get appointed to that task, then take it and do it of a willing mind. But if your attitude is, I just want to tell people what to do, then you know what? Just, just forget it. That's not the attitude that we ought to have. We ought to, uh, we shouldn't be too anxious. In fact, when it's saying, and too, when it talks about being anxious to get into things or when we talk about that, um, you know, once again, it doesn't mean you can't desire some kind of authority. You can't desire to be in some kind of leadership. But if you are a wise person, before you get into leadership, you're going to take it slowly. You're going to make sure you're prepared. You're going to go and you're going to seek counsel. There's a lot of young guys out there. They, I mean, they're just, they're gung ho. They want to be a pastor. And that's fine. But you know what? They're a little too anxious. And, they're taking pastorates when they are not ready. And listen, if you're a young guy and you want to be a pastor, there are places that will take you. There are places that are desperate for pastors. I have some of the biggest losers I've ever known in my life have become pastors of churches. There's always a place that will take you. It doesn't matter if you're not qualified. Most churches don't care. If you just have a pleasant personality, there's places that will take you. Now, they might not pay very good. Okay? And I've seen for firsthand, if you want to go Lutheran, you can always get a job in the Lutheran churches. They've got some atomic losers that I've seen pastoring these churches. And man, them Lutheran churches have money. I'm telling you, if you ever hear I switch to Lutheran, all right, it wasn't by conviction. It was because of the money. All right? It's an easy job. And those churches, they have all the money out here. But uh, anyway, that's another subject for another day. But uh, you know, we need to... Just we need to take leadership serious. That, that I believe that's what he's telling us here, because there is, there's a greater condemnation. So don't be anxious to it. And it says, for in many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man and also able to bridle the whole body. Okay, I need to make sure 
I'm able to control my mouth. I don't want my mouth, and especially as a pastor, I don't want what I'm teaching to cause other people to sin. And so if I'm able to control my mouth, anybody who's able to control their mouth, the Bible says they're a perfect man or complete, and they're able to bridle the whole body. If you can control your mouth, you are doing very good. And what is one of the most difficult areas in our life to control? What is the most difficult part of our body to control? And it is the mouth, is it not? I mean, our mouth gets us in trouble all the time, and we need to get it under control. It says in verse 3, Behold, we put bits in the horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn about their whole body. Behold also the ships, which though they be great and are driven of fierce winds, yet are they turned about with a very small helm, whithersoever the governor listeth. Now, you know what? I could preach a whole other message right here. You know, I know it's Wednesday night, but I just feel led to preach right now. This right here... Okay, this is a great passage that the trendies need to just think about for a little while. You've got the trendies that are out there that hate standards. They hate hearing that word, standards. They can't stand it when people have all these man-made rules. That's what they always want to talk about. These man-made rules. I don't know how many times I heard young guys tell me, well, you know why the girl, you know, they teach that the women wear skirts is because Jack Hiles and a bunch of the preachers a long time ago, they had a meeting, they got together, and they said, we need to have this standard, we need to have that standard. And they started pushing them in all the churches. And I don't know if that's true or not. I definitely wasn't there. But even if that did happen, you know what I say? I say, thank God that some guys got together and said, hey, you know what? Things are getting out of control in our churches. People aren't dressing right. You know, back in the 70s, you know, guys are wearing shorts, you know, showing all of their thighs and things. You know, women are starting to dress more masculine. And some guys got together and they said, hey, what is going on here? We probably should be preaching against this. You know, this stuff actually violates what's in the Bible. We probably should preach against this. But at the same time, the Bible doesn't go into detail spelling out every little item of clothing that we ought to wear. It doesn't give an exact number of inches below the knee that a skirt should go. It doesn't lay out every little detail on those things. So you know what? How about we set some standards to make sure we control ourselves? Because we are people, because we are just prone to sin and just prone to following after the flesh, how about we put some bits in our mouth? In other words, why don't we put some things and why don't we put some rules in our life to help keep us from getting out of line? How about we set some standards so we don't just do what we feel like we're feel like doing because you know what we don't always feel like doing the right thing. But what are the trendies doing today? They just want to go along with the culture. They want to base what's right and wrong based on just the time era that we're living in. And they get so bent out of shape when somebody comes along and they have a rule in their church that's not spelled out in the Bible, like they're adding to the word of God. But you know what? Here, he's talking about how important it is that we bridle our tongue, that we keep it under control. And he brings up how you, know, you, put, Brit, uh, you put bits in the horse's mouth and you're able to control that horse with that. Your ship, it ha- you're able to steer it with a very small helm. Just some little things that we use in our life in, in different things can help control really big things. 
So you know what? Maybe if we had some rules and some standards in our life, maybe that would help us avoid some really big problems. You know what? Maybe because we are so prone to sin, we need to have some things like that horse has a bit in their mouth. You know, we need to have some things like that in our life so we don't get out of line. Okay? Stand, nobody is saying when they teach standards that, you know, this item of clothing, it's absolutely biblical that everyone must wear it. But you know what? We, we put these things in place so we don't go off the rails. You know, it's like, why do I wear a suit and a tie when I preach? I'm well aware of the fact that the Apostle Paul didn't wear a suit and a tie. But I'll tell you this, I can guarantee you that the Apostle Paul didn't look like a pagan prophet during that time. I'll bet there was a difference in how he looked from the false prophets. I'll bet there was a difference even in how he looked from the Jewish rabbi. In fact, I know there was because the Jewish rabbi, they wore all the long fancy clothing to be seen of men. We know the Apostle Paul would have done that. So what did he wear? I mean, I'm sure he wore what was appropriate in that day. Well, why do I wear the suit and tie? I'll tell you why I wear the suit and tie and why I don't wear the skinny jeans and why I don't wear the casual. I don't do the untucked shirt. Why I don't make this look like a nightclub. Why we don't do these things. Because of the fact I wear the suit and tie because I don't want to go that direction. I don't want to get out of control. I don't want to just turn this into this casual atmosphere. I don't want to turn this into just this nightclub scene. And you know what? This outfit isn't going to fit in a nightclub. It just, it's not, it's not going to work. I wouldn't be, you know, I mean, people who go to nightclubs wouldn't be comfortable dressed like this in a nightclub. There's just something about, it is, the way people dress, it shows what they're prepared to do. And it is, it's just amazing just how little diversity there is today in clothing. I mean, it, what people wear, it just, it just says everything about them. And when I see Christians just going along with the world, it, it, you know, I'm not going to go into all the details and different things, but you know, some people look like they're just going to bed everywhere they go. And it's because they're just lazy. Thankfully, I haven't noticed the I don't think the pajamas in public, I think that fad is over. I, have not, I do not hardly see that at all anymore. But there was a couple years I constantly saw it. Constantly. And I got sick of it. But let me tell you what is in for ladies instead of the pajama pants, it's the yoga pants in public. That is out of control. That is inappropriate. And no, everybody knows these women aren't doing yoga. Alright? Everyone knows. It's like, ladies, you are not exercising. In those, all right. Those might be more comfortable exercising things like that, but these women out in public wearing these things around here—they haven't been exercising, all right. If they had, if they did, they just started, <laughs> and uh, or their exercising has been failing them, all right. It's it's wrong, okay. And listen, it's wrong for a lady who has succeeded in her exercising program to be wearing that in public, but folks, it's really wrong when you have failed. Alright, or you're just getting, I mean, come on, people. Just, where are their husbands? You know, where, where are they? You know, I mean, I know their marriage would probably end if you told her she looked fat in those, but, uh, some, somebody needs to do it. You, where are their friends? Alright? Where are these women's friends? You know, that would tell them like, hey, you know, 
You probably shouldn't do that. I, I don't know. Where are their kids? Why aren't their kids? Say, Mom, please don't. You know. I mean, my my kids have done it before. You know, it's like if if we kiss them, you know, kiss in front of them, you know, they freak out. You know, they're embarrassed. And especially when it feels in public. And you know, any kid, you would think if they saw their mom going out in those things, would freak out and want to hide from their mom. But I don't know. I, we we live in a weird culture today. I don't understand it, but we do. We need some stand. We need some standards and rules. Why? Because we don't want our wives out in public in yoga pants. So we you know what we're going to do. We're going to set some ground rules. We're not going to let them wear something that shows everything. I mean, that leaves nothing to the imagination. We're not going to do that. When you have a world where people, where, where women are dressing masculine and men are dressing feminine, we are going to set some rules so we don't cross any lines. There's nothing wrong with that. You know, it's, we're putting a bit in our mouth so we can control ourselves to keep us from getting out of line. Okay, there's a great principle there. We could preach a whole message on that. Here, it's using that principle specifically for the tongue. We've got to be able to control our tongue. Why? Because says, even though the tongue is a little member and boasts of great things, behold how great a matter a little fire kindles. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity, so is the tongue among our members. And it defileth the whole body, and setteth on course of nature, and it is set on fire of hell. For every kind of beast and of birds and of serpents and of things in the sea is tamed, and hath been tamed of mankind. But the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poisons. Okay, so when we understand the potential damage that our tongue can do, you know what we ought to do? We ought to put some bits in our mouth, figuratively speaking. We ought to put some standards in our mouth. We ought to have some rules that we follow. Okay, that's why there's just certain rules that I there's or certain words that I don't say. Say, well, words are just words. Well, I understand that, but some words pack a punch. Some words can do some serious damage. So you probably shouldn't use those words. You should just make it happen. I am not going to use these words. Okay? Even, I would never cuss somebody out. But you know what? I'm not even going to, ref- I'm not even going to say cuss words when talking. I remember there was a situation at my job years ago where there, there was a, you know, a fight between two people verbally speaking. And I remember the manager was asking me about it and I'm telling him what took place and he was wanting to know what was said and I told him what was said but I wasn't using the words that were said. And he was just like, are you like a religious, you know, is like a religious or something where you can't say those words? I was like, yeah, I guess you could put it that way. (laughs) It's like, I wouldn't have been doing the one cussing but there's just some words that have never left my mouth. And... I intend to keep it that way because I I don't I want to I need to control myself. And you know, and there's and cuss words aren't the only thing that we can do to get our tongue in trouble. Okay? Just, you know, saying nasty things, being insensitive, we can get ourselves in a lot of trouble with our tongue. And you know what? Getting in trouble with our tongue, it's not limited today just with the tongue. We can do it with our fingers too, can't we? With what we say, you know, online and social media. I mean, some of y'all need to put some bits on your fingers, you know, just to, to keep them under control. Because, and listen, whatever it takes. There's some people that they've just said, you know what? I refuse to get on social media. 
because I can't control myself. You know what? I respect people when they do that. I was just uh, I was texting a pastor the other day, and he just deleted his Twitter account because of all just the drama and the stupidity that was on there. And he said, you know, it's like you know, I try not to find it more, but I still, some long lines, I still have that in me, and so I just had to get rid of it. You know what? I didn't say, man, you wimp. You can't control yourself. You know what? I say, good for you. That's that. That's just being wise. We weren't commanded to be on Twitter. That's not a command of God. And let me tell you something. I mean, you know, the Bible says not to cast your pearls before swine. There's a lot of idiots on Twitter. And most of them are independent fundamental Baptists. That's one of the reasons I've never got on there too because I see the stupidity on there. And and the thing is, he said, you know, you're on Facebook. And Listen, I'm not saying it's a sin to be on Twitter, but let me tell you why I'm not on Twitter and why and because one of the things that's killed the old IFB is just all this one verse theology. All right, the soundbite theology. They all love their little Spurgeon quotes. They all love just using their little one verse to prove a point that they always take out of context. Okay. And Twitter is a great place for that. You're only allowed to do so many characters. I forgot how many it is. So you can't put anything too long in there, which is right up their alley because IFB Baptists, they don't know how to put more than two verses together. And that's why they get things out of context all the time. And you should see some of the stupid arguments that people get in. And it's like, I could never win those arguments because I would have to show too many verses you're not allowed to fit that many characters in a tweet. Therefore, I would fail. You know, I just I, I, I couldn't do it. I can't keep it that short. But that's just all they can handle. So it's just like, you know what? You know, just like I would probably lose an argument with a caveman because I don't know how to grunt right. You know, I, I think I'd lose the arguments on Twitter because these people are theological cavemen that are on there. And so, you know what? So when this pastor told me he deleted his Twitter account because of the stupidity on there, that's just, that's just being wise. Okay? He's controlling himself there. And if he decides to set a standard for himself that, you know what? I'm just not going to do Twitter because I don't want to look like a theological caveman. You know what? I say, good for him for doing that. We need to set these rules in our life. You know, because when we realize the potential power that we have to do harm, we're automatically going to have safeguards. Okay? Isn't that why they have safeguards on things like guns? Why do they put a safety on a gun? Why? Because of the potential harm that could be done. Why do you lock them up? Why do they put them in cases behind a lock and key? Wouldn't it be easier if you just kept it on, you know, right there in the drawer, loaded, ready to go, you know, bullet in the chamber and everything? Wouldn't that be better? But here's the thing. The potential harm you can do with a gun tells you, you know what, we're going to put these safeguards on it anyway. That's why they have all these safety features in cars and things because there's a lot of potential damage that could be done with an automobile. So we need to have some of these safety features and when we realize the potential trouble that we can get in with our tongue you're going to have some safety features. And that principle applies across the board. Okay, If you're a lady, you realize the potential harm you could do just with causing other men to lust. You know what you're going to do? You're going to practice some modesty. You're going to have some standards. You know, Men, when we, when we realize the trouble that we could get into 
you know, when it comes to lust and things. We are going to watch ourselves. We're going to make sure that we don't allow ourselves. We're going to have some of those rules like people make fun of Mike Pence for because he won't be alone with another woman. And people made fun of him for that. But you know what? I think that's a good rule. I think, you know, my dad's always practiced that. He taught me to practice that. And I practice too. I don't give ladies car rides. Hey, the, the, why? Do you think you do something? I don't think I would. But you know what? Since there's a potential to do great damage, I'm just going to have a rule that I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to be alone with another woman. When I'm here at the church by myself, if another lady needs to come here for something, then I, you know, I'm just going to have to leave or she's going to have to wait. Why? Because I'm not planning on doing anything, but because of the potential danger, we have these safeguards. That is just practicing wisdom. And that kind of thing really needs to be done with the tongue, which is what it's talking about here. So we as Christ, we, you know, we have no business as Christians letting our tongue do damage. We are accountable for getting it under control. It says in verse 9, Therewith bless we God, even the Father, and therewith curse we men, which are made after this multitude of God, out of the same mouth proceedeth blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not so to be. Doth the fountain send forth at the same place sweet water and bitter? Can the fig tree, my brethren, bear olive berries, either of vine figs? So can no fountain both yield salt water and fresh. We shouldn't have two different things coming out of our mouth. Now, I believe it's possible. I believe it's potential. But it says these things ought not so to be. You can you can be up here you know, singing the songs of Zion on Sunday and out there cussing like a sailor at work on Monday. But if you do that, you're sending out two mixed messages and you're going to do damage with that. You know, I really hope that you aren't out there cussing like a sailor at work and then we go and knock on the door of one of your coworkers, we get him to come visit here and he falls over when he sees you're here in the church. I hope that doesn't happen because that's going to send that's going to send a mixed message in the church, so you better watch it. You better watch how you know. You better watch your language. Okay, you shouldn't be. You know, like I said, you shouldn't be cussing. Okay, and listen, there's a lot of Baptists that are getting a little too free with biblical words. Okay, now I am 100% for using biblical words, but use them in a biblical context. Okay, I understand the word asses in the Bible, but it's talking about a donkey. It's not talking about someone's backside. All right. Don't use it in that context. That's the way the world uses it. I know the word damn is in the Bible, but folks, that's a serious word. That is a strong word and you don't need to be going damning everything. That is inappropriate. That's what the world does with that word. They don't even understand what it means. They're just saying it because they're angry. Hell is a biblical word. But you don't just get to use it However you want. You shouldn't use it flippantly. Otherwise, people aren't going to take it serious. That is a, that's a strong word. It's a serious word. And you better watch it. Use it in a biblical sense. Okay? You know, the word piss is in the Bible, but people are always, I, I hear Christian people talking about being, you know, pissed. Okay? How is that using it in a biblical way? Okay? Being angry, being aggravated. I've never seen them use that term like that in the Bible. But yet, Christians do it. Why? Where did that come from? It comes from the world. That's where it comes from. That's how they use those words. 
They misuse these words. If you want to use those words, that's fine. But you know what? Use them appropriately. Use them biblically. Don't go allowing the world to change the definition of these words. These words have some meaning and use them in an appropriate way. You don't just get to use them however you want. All right. Here, it is not cool to do cussing when we're preaching. All right. We don't do that here. Now, listen, I'm not going to tell everybody else what they have to do in their churches and their pulpits. Okay? But here, I tell you, you know, guys, we don't do Bible word cussing. You can say all the Bible words you want from the pulpit, but you will use them according to their biblical definitions. Just, just keep that in mind. And people use James 3 where it talks about the tongue, how it is set on fire of hell. And they'll use that as an excuse to just use the word hell however they want. But that's not appropriate either. When it says it's set on fire of hell, it's not just using the word hell for slang there, but what is the fire of hell known for? It's the fire that cannot be quenched. And it's saying how the tongue can no man tame. And just like no one can put out the fires of hell, no one can tame another man's tongue. That's what that's saying. Just like the fires of hell can't be stopped, you can't stop other people's tongues. They can tame all these animals that are out there in the world, but you can't tame somebody else's tongue. So it's not just using that word like slang. It's just making a comparison there because it's an appropriate comparison because of the fact that um, you can't stop the tongue and you can't stop the fires of hell. They're going to burn forever. So, uh, listen, when you were a little kid... And you know, you grew up in the Christian home and went to Christian school. You weren't allowed to say all those Bible words. Those were bad words. Okay? But then you became a big boy and now you're allowed to cuss like all the other tough guys were able to when they were younger. Right? You feel good about yourself talking that way. Well, let me tell you something. You're not impressing me. All right? Some of us are manly enough. We don't have to go around using strong language like that and using cuss words to prove we're manly. Okay? I don't understand why people feel the need to do that. But it's just, it's just not necessary and it's getting, it's, get, some people are just way out of control with that. And you know what? Just chill out. Go buy a thesaurus and go learn a few new words. Okay? You know, actually make yourself look smart instead of looking like an idiot. But anyway, lost my spot. Getting off of that. So look at verse 13. Verse 13 says, Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. Okay, so who should be the master or teacher? Okay, because that's what he started out with in this chapter, and I think he's kind of he's kind of continuing this thought. Who is somebody who should be a master? Who is somebody who should be a leader? It, because it's important they are going to receive that greater condemnation. It ought to be the person who is showing wise. You know, uh, who's endued with knowledge among you. And that person ought to be showing, you know, out of a, you know, out of a good conversation. That person ought to have a good example, you know, meekness of wisdom. Okay? We don't want the guy, we don't want to put the guy in charge who's just really good at running his mouth. We want to put the guy in charge who actually has the works. Okay? Same, you know, when it comes to pastoring. Remember what Paul said, if a man desire the office of a bishop, he desires the good work. But what does he do? He gives some requirements. You don't just give it to anybody. 
Because there's a lot of people out there. They just want to be in charge. They want to have some kind of platform. They want to have some kind of control. You don't give it to anybody. You give it to the guy who's actually uh, meets some qualifications, who's doing the right thing. And you know what? Look what. And then look what it says in verse 14. Right after it mentions this, it says, "But if you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above." but is earthly, sensual, devilish. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. So, when church, and this, this, this happens in church, okay? And this is what gets the tongue flapping in church. And that is when church becomes a campaign ground you know, for who's going to get the next exalted position in the church. That's when we start having problems because that's what happens in churches. Okay, you know, and it it gets like this, especially in bigger churches. It's like there's almost a hierarchy in the church. Okay, that kind of stuff that comes from the world. Okay, that is a it is a worldly thing to be fighting for that exalted position. Jesus said, you know, he constantly was getting on to his disciples for fighting over who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Remember how all the disciples got mad because James and John's mother came to Jesus asking that one of her boys could sit on his right hand and another on his left. The Jews, they loved those exalted positions. The Pharisees were all about that. But Jesus said, "...whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. For even as the Son of Man, He came not to be ministered unto." but to minister and to give His life a ransom for many. We do not want a church full of people that are just looking for some kind of position, looking for some kind of authority, looking for some kind of title. That type of thing, it always leads to bitter envying. It leads to strife. It leads to fighting. And the reason you got a lot of people going around doing the backbiting and stuff in church is they often feel like, hey, this person's moving up the ranks. This person is becoming more exalted than I am in the church. And all of us ought to have the attitude, you know what? Just wherever God can use me, great. Just you know, wherever it is, great. I'm just here to serve. If I'm not the guy in charge, well then you know what? I'll be the guy helping the guy in charge. As long as the work's getting done, you ought to be happy. That's the kind of attitude that God wants. But it is completely natural for us to... Just do, we we start creating ranks, okay? I mean, even Lana, I mean, you know, Lana, she's five years old, and yet, you know, when she sees her sisters get to do something that she wants to do, I and mean, just the other day, she started crying about something. I don't remember what it was, and she's like, "You like Ali best." That's what she said. You know, it's like like creating ranks, okay? All are my kids the only ones that do that? They're always deciding who's the favorite one in the family and all that kind of stuff. I hope that's not only in my family. We did that in my family too growing up. So I, I, I could just be reaping what I sowed, but maybe everybody does that. Okay? And in our family, Amy was a favorite. All right? But anyway, just, I still do it. No, just <laughs> but no, we, we, did. We, we, all, we all decided that. That is just childish, isn't it? That is childish to, to do that kind of thing. And that type of stuff goes on in church. And that is why... You have people running each, running other people down. That's why they want to go into the church and start running other people down. We had it over when we were over in Ireland. We had this clown. I was telling somebody about it before church. 
So, Brother Stewart, this guy, he's the one that organized everything out there. I mean, the guy did a ton of work. was super well organized. He, man, I mean, he, he like had every detail planned out, figured out. Just one of these real organized guys. You know, that was a huge blessing. And it was a big challenge because they, they had things working against them. You know, the place that they had the thing scheduled, it got canceled, uh, you know, by weird means. And this guy found another place. He did a lot of work. But you know what? I had this idiot like two or three weeks before I even went out, who I already knew was an idiot. This guy didn't even know that I was going to be going to Ireland. But for some reason, he sends me the, he, he, he starts sending me these messages asking me what he should do about the situation. He was coming to me for advice. And he, wanted to, he was coming to me for advice because Brother Stewart, the guy who's running this event in Ireland, has been when he goes out soul winning, he tells people they should go if they get saved, he tells them they should go to this church and that preacher's repent of your sins. And, you know, he, did, he was wondering if he should say something or if he should let someone know that the guy who's in charge is a bad guy. And I just basically told him, no, you shouldn't do anything about it. Because first off, it's like some of these guys, they just accuse everyone of being repenting of your sins. Okay? Even when they're not really that. They just accuse everybody of it. And I won't go into the whole conversation, but this idiot, he went, and he just we went back and forth for a long time. And I, I just called him out, basically told him he was an idiot. And I'm thinking, I hope he tries showing up at the, at the thing. And you know what? That loser did. And we have had tons of interaction before, always negative. And, you know, he probably found out the day before I was the one that was going to be there. And so he showed up. I talked to him before the service. He didn't tell me who he was. Because on his, on his profile and everything, he doesn't have a picture of himself. He never said who he was because he knew I would throw his carcass out of the event. He was there for the whole church service. And then when we were out soul winning, somehow they found out that he was there. And somebody came and told me. And they pointed him out to me. And and so I, I told him he needed to leave. And so what does he do? Does he try to defend himself and say, no, listen, I'm one of you. I just want to go soul winning. You know what he did? The, the loser, he wouldn't leave. And he starts telling, he made sure he got everyone's attention and started telling them how bad Brother Stewart was. He starts telling them all how, you know, how he promotes repent of your sins, preachers. And he even, Danny, his, this guy's name's Danny. He even admitted to me that Stuart, Brother Stewart doesn't even believe that. But yet he promotes these guys. And folks, it's Ireland, alright? I mean, if you can just find a Baptist church, you're doing good. And you know, the, the guy's doing the best he can with what he's got, but you've got losers like him. You know what he can't stand? He can't stand. He probably thinks he should be the one organizing this event. He probably thinks he's the one that people should be looking to. So what does he do? He's got to run down the guy doing the work. And you know what? I enjoyed very much throwing his carcass out. He wouldn't leave at first. I just got in his face. I told him, I said, man, I said, you're lucky you we're not in my country because otherwise I would physically remove you. But I didn't know what the laws were over there and I didn't want to break the laws when I was in Ireland. But I would have had no greater pleasure than to physically throw that guy out on his backside. And he did. He walked off. I'm pretty sure this guy's a queer based on the pic. Somebody did send me a picture of him. And it looks like it was from a few years ago because he's put on a lot of weight since then. But, I mean, the guy looks like a full-blown queer in the picture. And I think he was just a homo infiltrator, is what I personally think about him. But either way, even if he's not a homo, 
You know what he is? He's a pile of garbage that can't stand seeing someone in what he must consider an exalt position. So he's just going to go run them down with his mouth. And who knows how many other people he probably tried contacting. I was probably the only one dumb enough to argue. But I just got curious when he brought it up because I'm thinking, I didn't know this guy was from Ireland. And I'm thinking, and I just, I kind of took this as an opportunity because I'm thinking, this guy's probably planning on showing up at this event. And, uh, and sure enough, he, he did. And you know what? But people like him are in every church. And you know what? People like him ought to get thrown out of churches. And you know what? If you're here in this church and you're going to go running down what other people are doing in the church just because maybe you want to do it, you know what? You, you need to get thrown out. And we ought to throw you out. You know, we will throw you out. If you're going to go running down people that are doing the work in the church, you know, then you do, you, just because you want that position, you know what? You're, you're no good. And that type of thing, I mean, you say, Yo, you're being mean. Well, look what the Bible said about it. It said, this wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. Alright? That's pretty strong right there, saying it's devilish. And it is. It all comes from envying and strife. We do not need that in this church. And you know what? But you know what? Churches are, they are, they're often campaign grounds, is what they are. And that's why church, it, and churches often look like the political world. Because the, it, the church is being worldly. It is a worldly thing to be fighting for positions like people do in churches. That is worldly. And verse 17 says, but the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy. Well, this is a good verse. I should have just quoted this, this guy. You know, the wisdom from above is pure and peaceful. This guy's just trying to cause trouble. This guy's just trying to cause, he's trying to cause war. It's easy to be entreated, full of mercy. You know, he can't see that the guy's in a tough situation. And so he's just, he just nitpicks. Instead of just doing like this guy does, who doesn't send people anywhere, probably doesn't even go. So I'm sure he doesn't go soul winning. This is full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Okay? That's right there, folks. That's how you know when somebody's doing the work if it's something that's from above. They're not hypocritical about it. They have that good fruits. They're not partial which is what it talked about, I think in chapter 1, about being partial and being a respecter of persons. It says, "...and the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace." Those who have that real wisdom, you know what, they can have a quiet conversation with you. You know, these people, they're going to be easy to talk to. They're going to be people who practice what they preach. These are people that are going to have some meekness. They're not going to be the ones going around just beating their chest all the time, wanting to tell everyone else how wrong they are. These people have got it under control. That person that's got their life in control, that's got their body in control, their tongue in control, this person is someone who is obviously you know, walking with God. This is somebody who's got that wisdom that's from above. These are the people that we ought to be listening to. These are the people that we should want in charge. Okay, Not the guy that's just anxious to boss somebody around. Okay? And I, I, think, I think what we're seeing in James 3, 
you know, when you kind of look at the chapter as a whole, and what it's talking about is really, you know, who we want as leaders. This is a good look at, you know, leadership and the kind of people that you want in leadership. And so there's a lot of great lessons that we can learn here, but politics and the tongue. Okay, politics in the church. People running their mouths, running their tongues, is one of the main ways that the devil has often destroys churches. Just gossip. I mean, it can do so much damage. And that's why we need to constantly be reminded of it. We constantly need to be reminded. I mean, I think at least once a year, maybe every six months, I probably should be just getting up and get on a Sunday morning and just ripping face on gossip. I mean, because even if nobody's doing it, it's real easy to get started. It's, it's a very easy thing to do. It's earthly, sensual, and devilish to do that kind of thing. We naturally are just are prone, prone to doing that. And just, I mean, just admit it. I mean, what do you like, what do you like hearing more? You know, do you like finding out you're better than other people? Or that, you know, or that you're worse than other people? What appeals to our flesh more? Hey, just take your halos off, okay? We hate it when we find out people are better than us. You know, that, that's not what we want to hear. If we find out somebody read through their Bible, you know, they read their Bible more this year than we did, they shouldn't brag on that. You know, that's, that's automatically what we do. Why? How dare they make me feel, you know, how, how do they, they make me feel challenged? You know, how, how dare they make me feel bad in some way? You know, anybody, you know, and I, I hate to steal a quote. I'm not even going to tell you where I got this quote from because it's a bad guy, but it was a great quote. But I'm not, I, I probably should skip it, but I have to say it now. But I heard somebody say one time, he was a bad guy, but it was still a great quote. He says, you know, what's a liberal? Somebody with one less standard than you. What's a legalist? Somebody with one more standard than you. All right? And there's a lot of truth to that, you know. Any any woman that dresses less modest than you do, she's a hussy, right? But any woman who dresses a little more modest than you, you you say she bought her clothes, buys all her clothes from Olson's Mercantile, you know. Looks like Little House on the Prairie or something like that. Isn't that how we are? Okay, that's just that is just nature, and it's bad. And you know what? No one has ever figured out how to stop it. it. Only you can get your tongue under control. I can't. No one's ever figured out how to stop this thing as far as with other people. You can stop it yourself. It's just, it is, it's an unruly evil full of deadly poison. It has been going on since the beginning of time. And we're always going to have to fight at the end. And that's why James brought it up in this letter. I think he's pretty sure, alright, I need to write a letter that's going to be a blessing to all the churches. You know what? I better devote a chapter talking about the tongue. Because that's a real problem in churches today. And you know what? Most preachers, when they're going to preach a revival and they're going to go into a church and they're not real familiar, they don't go there all the time, they're thinking, what should I preach? What would probably be a blessing? What's something that church probably needs? Well, if it's a normal church, it's got people in it. If it's got people in it, you know what? They probably deal with some gossip. I'll bet they deal with a lot of people uh, with you know, having problems with the tongue. We probably better preach on that, and it needs to be regularly brought up. And you know what? You need to get your tongue under control. So let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you so much for your word. I pray you'll help us to 
Lord, use our tongue to do good things that will lift people up, that will uh, encourage one another. There's so many great things that we could do with our tongue to be a blessing to others. But Lord, there is a great danger there. Help us to realize the potential damage that we can do and uh, that we'll have the wisdom um, and, to, and the, we'll be responsible enough to put those safeguards in our lives so we won't do these things. In Your name we pray. Amen. Let's go.